0: They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tacovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Publicly Challenged Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Oswald, and I hope you join me on my quest for knowledge to become a better public land hunter angler, and forager. Stick with this and who knows, maybe we will learn something together. All right, real quick before we get started on the show, I'm just going to talk about Treeline Academy. You've heard me say it, I can't even tell you how many times. Um, Mark Levesay is treelineacademy.net. That's treelineacademy.net, sign up, use the promo code PC. 2020 save yourself 20 bucks can't say it enough it's awesome amazing most comprehensive e-scouting course out there check it out for yourself sign up use promo code pc 2020 and now let's get to the show all right so i'm sitting here in southern illinois with uh my lifelong friend seth and his dad ron and uh geez how long have we known each other seth whole life
2: yeah this is preschool right
1: yeah yeah you were a tiger and I was a turtle in the play. I think that's uh, <laughs> a long time ago. <laughs> that was a long time ago, yeah. yeah. And, I'll uh, uh, take your word for it. Yeah, and uh, Ron, kind of like my second dad, so it's kind of cool. Learned a lot from him over the years. Some bad, <laughs> along with the good. But, uh, well, say some,
3: hi, Ron. Some of it you can't talk about in front of women and children, but <clears throat> most of it you can.
1: Yeah, so we're down here, and uh, you guys invited me down to your little deer camp and it's pretty cool um and then we wanted to do some public scouting and probably didn't do as much as we anticipated but there's so much it's overwhelming and when you got deer to process in the meantime it kind of takes away time from that
3: yeah it takes a couple hours <laughs> per, per deer from by the time you haul them out and get them all processed and uh so visiting friends and uh going out to nice places to eat pretty much
2: non-existent <laughs>
1: that's okay i'd rather rough it anyway but uh so let's start out i kind of want to talk about mushrooms seth because you recently kind of dove head first and i know you picked some mushrooms and stuff beforehand but what was your experience before that
2: yeah so uh really no previous experience we stumbled upon some morels uh, uh less than a quarter mile from my house we've got a trail uh, hundreds of people cross it every day and w- my wife came home with some mushrooms and she said, "Hey, do you know what these are?" and I looked down and I said, "Those are morels and they are delicious. We should eat them. Where did you find these?" And so um, you know, we did our little local loop where we'd find morels every spring and uh I don't know why. I always kind of had this assumption that most wild mushrooms were not choice and you know, had heard of morels and knew of chanterelles and things like that, but um Ultimately, yeah, through going out in the woods with you a lot, uh, you know, deer hunting, finding mushrooms on the side, uh, kind of coming into the world of realizing how many great edible mushrooms we have in the state and in the places we hunt, the places that we already spend time in the woods. So, yeah, trying to learn as much as I can, trying new mushrooms, and uh, it's been a fun ride the last couple of years.
1: I'm glad you went along for that ride with me because I thought it was pretty cool. Even though we didn't, I don't think either of us got a deer that day. But at the same time, I was like, oh, wait, stop. And you're like, what? And you're like, why are you yelling? <laughs> I'm like, sorry. I'm pretty excited right now. <laughs> Drop my pack, run over there, pick how many did we pick? It was like wow. three or four, but one of them, I bet you, was probably close to like 10, 15 pounds yeah, minimum. Yeah, it was
2: 30, 40 pounds total. What, yeah. there were five big bunches of the sheep's heads. And, and you're like, what
1: are you going to do with those? And I go, we're going to eat them. <laughs> And I ran back to the truck, put them in the truck. You stayed there with all my stuff, and then we went back out and hunted that night. It was fairly unsuccessful, I think. I can't remember. I mean, we saw a deer anyway. We, pretty much time we go out, we see deer anymore, except for t- tonight, right? <laughs> it was yeah, yep. it was quiet ararity. tonight.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, actually, yeah, we. I think we ran into a couple does that night. I think that might have that might have been the uh, the night that I. Drew on a doe and held for two, three minutes and ultimately (laughs) couldn't get a shot, lowered. And then when I went to haul my bow back again, it was not going to come back. So I've since dropped five pounds off my uh, draw weight for those types of situations. That that has
1: made a difference for me with my shoulder. For some reason, just that extra five pounds, when you pull it back, I can't do it multiple times anymore. I don't know if it's actually something torn. I've never had it looked at, but that's... What about you, Ron? When did your mushroom journey start? I mean, did you used to pick them a long time ago?
3: Yeah, back uh, back in the seventies, uh, early seventies, late sixties, actually. Uh, we used to squirrel hunt down Old River Road uh, around Wilmington, Illinois, there, and uh, and I got turned on to sheep's head back then, and uh, and that was probably about the only that Morales the only yeah. two mushrooms I ever felt safe. Uh, Dabbling with, yep and then this year, you know, I got turned on to stumpers, the honey mushrooms, honey mushrooms. and uh, so it's it's been a good adventure this year. Uh, my morale hunting has never been good. Uh, <laughs> I'll take you out with me. Yeah, I just can't.
1: I just I don't ever want to see you in my spot without <laughs> you with <hitting> me. <laughs> <But>. Understand. <laughs> But you come anytime. Hey, we, we did can... let you
3: come down to deer camp. Okay, so. <laughs> No, I told
1: you, I'll take I'll take you with me anytime and you'll come back with a game bag full of mushrooms. That's that's for sure. Yeah. You yeah. just can't tell other people where it's at. But no,
2: no you so hit gonna... the nail on the head really with uh you know, the safety concern, right? Because there's your few edible mushrooms that are easily identifiable. <clears> you can't mistake a morel or a sheep's head. There there aren't those lookalikes and yeah, the the safety always worried me the idea of being able to identify but yeah as you do come across new types you realize what's safe what's not it's uh yeah it's it's a fun hobby the the entire process the looking for them the identification you know luke you and i are constantly texting pictures back and (laughs) forth of non-edible mushrooms hey what do you think this is what do you think this might be so it's uh yeah, it's, it's a definitely a neat hobby that goes along so well with everything else we like to do in the
1: woods. The outdoor
2: lifestyle, yeah. right?
1: I mean, that just kind of brings it full circle, and especially with what's going on these days and all the different stuff in the world. It's like, yeah. these are skills that we've gotten away from that pretty soon you might need to rely oh, on. Oh, sure. That again.
3: Sure. That's why I built a huge smoker and doing Virginia hams and uh, nice. uh, cutting up my own sheep this year. I got a sheep I'm going to process and... Uh, talk about the mushrooms when when we bought this place four years ago the realtor was showing us around and the hill right up up above the pond here uh was just loaded with with chantrellas didn't know what they were didn't know if they were edible the realtor's daughter uh picked a couple because she was going over to carbondale at the uh, college there Mm -hmm. and uh she took them to the college to have the uh the uh, people inspect them and make sure they were edible and And so when I come back and closed on the property, uh, she said, yeah, those are chantrellas. They're supposed to be a really, really good mushroom. And and I know I could have picked 50 pounds that day. And unfortunately, I've not been down here that time of year, you know.
1: Were they yellows or were they the cinnabar? They were like the almost reddish golden color? More
3: more of a uh, yellowish gold color.
1: No, that's cool. That's definitely cool. That's uh, something... I never knew what they were. And you and I, just even in our travels before, have come across them. And then we both at the same time started looking around and we're like, those are chanterelles. And then it was just we were at the archery yeah, club. Yeah, we at the archery it, club. And right. we were like, hey, those are chanterelles. I've never found them before, or we <laughs> have. And we walked past them, but we just never idea Sure, them. yeah. And that's kind of like there's a book that I've got that's called The Safe Seven. And it's like the most, seven most identifiable, unmistakable mushrooms. And that's a pretty good book if you guys have never. It's it's uh, Stan Tequila is the guy that, write that wrote that book. And so he talks about, you know, Shaggy Manes, Old Man of the Woods, which is a bolete that has a weird looking, looks almost like a toasted marshmallow on the top because it's all cracked and white. And it's kind of neat to go through that. But at the same time, you know, you see all these other ones and you want to know what they are and like, you and I were looking, and you're like, is this a deadly gallerine? Is this a, a destroying angel? You know, all these different things. And then and then uh, we were texting back and forth about, I don't remember what it was you were saying. You were going back out looking, and I said, yeah, I really wanted to find some shrimps. And you're like, <laughs> a shrimp? And I was like, yeah, it's where it gets infected with a, a fungal parasite, and it becomes something else. And you're like, okay. Next thing I know, you come back with... <laughs> whole handful of shrimps in a picture and i'm like oh man
2: P- perfect timing yeah. well because you told me about them and i'm like what is he talking about yeah. and i looked them up and i did my research i'm like oh that's really interesting and then not a week later yeah. they're gonna them out at the archery club and there they are all along the side of the yeah. trail <laughs> picking wood bluets and hey look at that there's some of those shrimps luke's talking about Yep, little and jealous. they were delicious little jealous of that one. well they were delicious well when i when i found the stumpers i wasn't sure
3: so I took him over to a mousie. uh He's an 83-year-old guy that's been a woodsman all of his life, and uh, he wasn't home, so I left the mushrooms. I left two, and I said, "Are these edible?" And he said, "The one's a jack lantern." He said, "That's a chanterelle look-alike. Don't eat that one." Yep. And he said, "The other ones are stumpers." And uh, he said, "In fact, he said I'm at my friend's house picking stumpers as you know yeah. as we speak." When he called me back, and uh, so I went over to his house and. Uh, guess what he's got out the Coleman stove out in the garage and he's cooking up stumpers so I can eat them and uh then we went in his backyard and I picked about 20 pounds of them for him because he's getting decrepit and he he can't he can't hardly walk so he rides it around his property on a riding lawnmower with a cart on the back and I was riding on the back cutting mushrooms and putting them in his cart for (laughs) him so (laughs) it it was a good trade
1: yeah so the jack-o'-lantern like a lot of people confuse chicken of the woods with a jack o' lantern too, and that's something I, I just recently got on a Facebook like page where people I help people ID them and stuff. And I can't believe here's my thing: if somebody wants to know what a mushroom is, take good pictures of it. That's number one. Right? Yeah. Take the underside of it. Yes. Not just from a distance and a picture. And so that's I found that that's super helpful. And
2: learn like, how to do the spore check.
1: Spores yep. is. Big. Yeah. So do you, when you do yours, you use a white sheet of paper or a black sheet of half paper? And half and half, yeah. Right? I'll
2: use half white, half black, and I plop the mushroom over the top. That way I can catch any dark colors, any light colors. You <clears throat> get a good view of what you're working with with that black and white contrast. Um, that's good. Yeah, that's and, 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 and I found that really useful, right, because there's a lot of lookalikes that that is your defining factor between, you know, with the wood bluets, that was – I. You look at a blue mushroom that's growing in the woods, a purplish blue mushroom, it's like, ooh, I don't know, that doesn't look like I should be able to eat it. And then ultimately yeah. you realize that if you you check off the identifying factors, you know, the appearance and the spore print and where you found it growing, um, yeah, where I was really worried about eating mushrooms in the past, I'm confident now. It's the idea right. of understanding that, y- yes, there are plenty of lookalikes that can kill you, but if you keep your your markers and you do a thorough investigation that you can rule out the the poisonous from the the edible and i've been enjoying a lot of good edible mushrooms lately
1: so let's talk about what did you what was your impression of the Blue It's mine to me i thought they were like kind of like a button mushroom almost.
2: yeah like, yeah i think so too very meaty right yeah my, my first impression was tainted because I thought I had the sprinkle <laughs> side of my black pepper open. I, I I like to give a little sprinkle of salt, sprinkle of pepper, and a little butter, and fry them up. And, uh, yeah, I dumped about two tablespoons of pepper, and then was trying to rinse it off and rewash them. So they were very peppery the first round, but no, I went back out a few days later, picked a bunch more. And, yeah, they're, uh, you know, obviously they're not as delicious as a uh, uh, morel, uh, mm-hmm. but... I think they're as good as any store bought button mushroom I've eaten, and you know, yeah. very meaty, yeah. filling. Um, yeah, I, th- I think they're they're good. I've I've not found an edible mushroom in the wild that I think is inferior to a store bought mushroom in any way.
1: That's the one that I might think probably is is a slippery jack. I've not had like, them, so <laughs> I didn't find anything great about that. But I've heard people talk about them, and be like, oh, you need to dry these and then try and cook them and rehydrate them or whatever. And I haven't done that. I just cooked up one little chunk of it just to see what it would taste like, test it out, you know, do the first little sample, you know, because you're always kind of nervous. Did I get it right? Am I right this time? And then I picked some chicken fats the other day, but I never ended up cooking them, ended up getting busy and never getting around to it. Yeah,
3: something kind of interesting, Luke, is uh, we have a friend, High Knob, uh, which is just north of here. It's real famous for horseback riding in Shawnee National Forest, and uh, our friend Anthony puts on a, a mule ride, and uh, there's usually between five and seven hundred mules that gather at High Knob, and you know we ride Shawnee, <clears throat> and uh, that's always in the springtime, and guys come back with saddlebags full of morales. <laughs> and and they're, they they sell them. Um, yeah. We we we've had a couple of kids in our club that come up with some problems i'll just say and uh so we do fundraisers for them and uh they sold about 40 pounds of morels and made almost 40 um, bucks a
1: pound yeah right
3: yeah well being a benefit they got got almost a thousand dollars for these mushrooms because people overpaid just because it was you know for the cost. but uh yeah it's amazing to see these guys come back with 10 15 pounds of morels saddlebags just full of them
1: that's yeah and uh that's like We have, like, almost a distinct season here in Illinois and in the Midwest in general. But what's crazy is, like, you go out to places like Colorado, Idaho, and stuff like that. Lower elevations get them first, and you can just pretty much follow the weather up. And you can go all the way up to, you know, 12,000, 14,000 feet. Maybe not 14, but, like, all the way up to 12,000 feet and still find morels pretty much your whole summer because of the whole elevation change and, and the weather and uh, it's kind of cool that most people think of burrells out west. I was talking to a guy, in fact, the guy that sent us the mushrooms that we ate last night for dinner, the, those mountain porcinis, and um, he was telling me, he's like, yeah, most people think of burns, and they only look in burns, but if you look in the right places and under the right conifers and different things like that out west, you can pretty much just follow follow the spring melt all the way up. Yeah, like and, and we were just can... talking
2: about the other day with the, the weather patterns in the mountains and how you can go from the rain to the snow to the sunny weather above the mountain above or the above clouds. the clouds. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. In the same day. Yeah. yeah. No, that's pretty cool. It's something I never really, you know, thought about either. And my whole thing was like, oh, yeah, spring, you can go out spring bear hunting, find a bunch of morels, just find a burn, find morels. But, you no, know, I guess they apparently grow other places. People just don't realize that. But. I think that's kind of cool so well, yeah
2: it's funny the uh, now that you mention it the ones that we have found for several years on our local trail by my house uh came after a clearing this is a trail that's been there for i don't know 100 years or so and it's paved bikers runners come up and down it and it's the old river beds yeah, yeah everything was getting overgrown over this trail and they came in with some machines and Tore out all of the young trees along the trail, cleared everything out, opened it up a little bit, and it was two years later, mushrooms started yeah. popping up all around, right in that strip where they had cleared a six or seven foot section of small trees and, yeah, you know, a bunch of elms, obviously. And uh, we've yeah. got about a half mile section where they popped up after that. So,
1: what I never realized when I first got into mushroom hunting was that it's not just elm trees or tulip trees like the popular yeah. trees around here. That's all I thought it was, was like poplars and elms. And then what was weird was all of a sudden I started seeing them pop up in my yard. And I removed a black oak tree and had the stump ground. And about two years later, they popped up. And I'm like, what the heck? So it's, it's not only that, but then a lot of half-free morels and stuff, they end up growing around pine trees. And I had no idea. And my buddy's like, no, I'm finding them. I'm like, where are you finding them at your house? All you have is pine trees. And he's like, no, I'm finding them in the pine trees. And then I started doing some research. And the more you read about it, the more you find out. It's not just, you know, the mycelium isn't just having a mycorrhizal relationship with just that tree. There's other ones that they have relationships with. And you brought it up the other day how certain strains of mycelium adapt (laughs) to different things in their environment, which was pretty cool. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> so what mushrooms are you excited about that you want to find in the future
2: so the chanterelles, right we we found a ton like you said we found them out at the the archery club literally littered among the grass as we walked through the field course and we were a little bit late right yep week late they were a little bit soft we picked some i ultimately like you said life happened we got busy i couldn't cook them that day the next day eh. and that's kind of the the gotcha of mushroom hunting right it's how long are they going to stay good after you get a chance to find them before you need to cook them and unfortunately i've watched some go to waste um the chanterelles that we found they weren't great when we found them and by the time i was ready to cook them they weren't fit to be cooked so kind of like those shrimps um, in the fridge yeah so i mean I, i'm eyeballing yeah exactly yeah yeah uh, I, I told luke before we came down here I, I had found those shrimps we cooked them up last weekend and they were absolutely delicious. And I told my said, "Hey, I'll go back out to the archery club on Thursday before we head down south. I'll see if I can find some, and I'll bring them down. We'll eat some if I find them." Well, I found a few handfuls and forgot them in my refrigerator. So, <laughs> that's all. Good. But but hey, you got the porcini's in the mail. I did. So our our fresh tenderloin of the venison was. Cooked yeah. up with delicious wild mushrooms. Anyway, that's even though true. I forgot the shrimps, <laughs> that was
1: a good thing. I checked the mailbox.
2: I'm glad you did. You, you got all got kinds a, of goodies. I got all kinds of goodies in there. Formula,
3: <laughs> fresh back straps and uh, not not even six hours old.
1: Yeah, those are hard to beat. Yeah, I'll tell you what, there isn't much better than taking that tenderloin out, especially after hauling it out of the woods. The inner inner able loins, able especially. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's that's it, Amy's favorite part my wife that's her favorite part oh yeah
2: there's something special about killing a deer and the same day breaking it down into quarters getting those prime tenderloins out cooking them up with there again if you've got some wild mushrooms to go with them that's kind of the that's the dream now right we we go out we we get some venison we come home with some mushrooms with them just like in turk spring turkey hunting you go out and you hope you get some morels if you get a chance to get a turkey Um, yeah yeah it's it is and you you pointed out the the skills that have kind of fallen by the wayside the foraging and the hunting and these are the things that I think ultimately are going to become a lot more important in the future and yeah uh, I do feel like we are privileged in the situation we're in to have people to have taught us all of these skills and to be in that world and to ultimately you know With beef being six, seven, eight dollars a pound, with inflation going through the roof, the idea that we can go out into the wild and get what we need to survive is uh, kind of a driving factor behind all of my hobbies right now.
1: Yeah,
3: yeah,
2: yeah. I I
3: just I I got into cold smoking a couple years ago, which I'd never done. I've always smoked, you know, jerky and all kinds of stuff, but um, built a a really nice cold smoker, and uh, I probably smoked seventy-five to hundred pounds of cheese. For people, that's awesome. And uh, people never had, you know, a lot of people's never had smoked cheese. And it takes, uh,
1: how long do you do you let it rest? A couple months, or like, the cheese? Yeah,
3: it's yeah. It's after you smoke it. It's best to let it go at least six or eight weeks. Mm-hmm. It seems like it absorbs some of that that harshness of the smoke on the outside. Yeah, it it absorbs an end to it into uh, it. But, you know, I, I got into car shootery a couple years ago. You know, I'm making all kinds of capicola and uh, pork loins. That's just, uh, you know, seasoned in salt. You know, use uh, 3% salt and uh, put, it, put it in a casing. You just hang it in, 50, in your basement, 56, 60-degree weather. Um, let it set for three months. You want to lose 30% of its weight, natural weight. And, uh, you know, it's like a very hard, hard salami when you cut it paper thin.
1: Oh, it's beautiful, though. Yeah. It's, it's And that's something I've always, like, wanted to get into, but not only learn how to do it, but learn how to do it, like, the old ways. Yeah. The ways that they actually did it to preserve their game and all these other things to make it not only taste good, but last the whole year. Sure. You know, yeah. until they got more. And that's always something that's kind of intrigued me. So that's pretty cool. I might have to come over and watch some of that. Like, I watched a guy, I can't remember, like, you and I were talking earlier about the whole YouTube thing and some of the families and people you watch on YouTube. There was one guy where they were homesteaders, and they were using, like, celery powder, and they hang a whole deer ham, and they were doing that and drying it and preserving it. Yeah,
3: yeah, absolutely. I think
1: that's pretty cool, and it reminds me of, like, when I was a kid, I'd watch Old Yeller, and in Old Yeller, they'd salt the – they'd go shoot the deer, salt it, and hang it on the porch, and the Old Yeller dog was sitting there – Salivating over it, you know. Well, I'm
3: I'm sixty nine years old and uh, and my grandparents were poor farmers in Kentucky. And uh, and the smokehouse was built on the side of a hill and we were forbidden as kids to go in grandpa's smokehouse. And the reason was that was their winter's meat and they didn't want us kids doing anything that would contaminate it or damage it. You know, so it was a preservation thing. But I remember grandpa going in there with my grandpa And uh, he'd cut two pounds of ham off of a a big, you know, 35-pound pork hock, uh, ham that he'd cured. And they're eating that ham three and four years later. And it stays inside that smoker, not refrigerated. Uh, Once he cut a slab off, he'd lather it down with some black pepper to keep the insects off of it. And they just kept eating off that ham. And, you know, I've been watching some YouTube videos of some of these old boys out in Virginia and uh, he was talking about eating ham seven years, you know, a, a ham shoulder that was seven years old. He's still eating it.
1: That's amazing. You know, and, and it's things like that that I feel we've gotten so far away from. We that. have. Yeah. And, and and now it's almost become like people have had like an innate just <clears throat> fear automatically instilled in them. And, oh, don't eat that. You don't know what that is. Well, how do you know what it is? Yeah. You know, I've got an instinct that's telling me that I can probably eat that, and I just need to do a little bit of research.
3: Yeah. Well, yeah. I, you know, I started making homemade cheese two years ago. Unfortunately, it takes six, eight months before you can take your first bite of your cheese that you made. So you really don't know <laughs> for eight months if it's going to be edible or not. Yeah. You know, I made a couple of cheeses that some people liked. Uh, Seth didn't like a couple of the yeah, this is a
2: mixed bag. Some of them were good, some of them not so much. But yeah. you don't know until you try it, right? Yeah, you don't yeah, know until exactly. you go in and yeah, you know some well, of the cheddars. Like these lost arts, right? Cheddar it's... cheeses
3: are a little easier to make, but you know, I mean, you know, it's uh, finding fresh whole milk is the problem. Uh,
1: well, that's like, I mean, I was reading something about I'm, I don't even know what they call it these days, but at the time they used to call them Inuits. But they would hunt like caribou and stuff too. And if the caribou had milk, yeah. they would take that milk and however they would do it, they'd put it in like a bladder or something like that and mm. make cheese out of the book. And I'm like, how did, how does anybody even know how to do that other than like, Experience well, I'm, sh- I'm sure and there was a lot of people. I'm
3: sure there was a lot of people died in the process. You know, two, three hundred years <laughs> just ago,
2: just like learning which mushrooms are poisonous. Yeah, <laughs> or, even, or even a couple
1: thousand years ago, right? And I'm yeah. thankful for those people that ate that mushroom to say, "Nope, don't eat that one." <laughs> right? Hey, that one over there, by the way. the how- Vikings ate that one, and that's how they got the name Berserkers. And how fortunate are we
2: for the people who came before us and have written the books right. that we look at and that we trust to tell us what's edible and what's not right it's yeah yeah Yeah, the people that have died the people who have spent their lives studying these things and making it clear for others because there are there's those safe few that are in you can't mistake them and then there's a whole bunch that you've got to know what you're doing and and uh we're lucky now with the internet and with so many great books that you know i can find 500 pictures if i need to of an edible mushroom and its poisonous counterpart and make sure i'm i'm positive that you know it's edible so
1: that's like i read somewhere
2: standing on the shoulders of giants right
1: right right i read somewhere that like there's a thousand or eleven hundred domestic cultivars that we eat that we consume and that's it and out of those domestics like the other ones that are out there that are edible or like in the 30 thousands or something like that of other plants and it's, it's hard to even imagine that. Like, we yeah. go through our life and just go to the grocery store, and that's it. I wish there was more old-timers that could pass that stuff on to you, you know? And,
3: and, and that's, like- you know, being 69 years old, uh, the old-timers to me are the guys that are still 89, 90, that are still alive. And uh, and I've got some real valuable information from those guys and I wish 20 years ago I'd picked their brains a lot more. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's not till I got older that I started liking to do things the old fashioned way. And, you know, uh, it's a lot of work, you know.
1: You know, it is a lot of work. But in the end, I feel anything that you have that's worthwhile is work. Yeah. Getting that deer, what makes the experience great is you busted your ass dragging it out, right? Oh, yeah. And then taking painstaking in the rain, you were breaking it down, and then we put it in the game bags and in the cooler. All of that makes it so much more worth it when you cook that first steak at home.
2: I love mushrooms. I love red meat. I'll buy them from the store, and I'll enjoy them from the store or from whatever restaurant selling them. There is an entirely different level of appreciation for something when you find it, whether it be a mushroom, you find it, you identify it, you make sure it's edible, you clean it, you cook it, you eat it, you go out into the woods, you find that deer, you kill it. Because bottom line, you're eating meat, someone is taking that life, and someone's processing that meat, and like you said before, you don't see that happen, you don't know what's happening, the idea that you take that life and you process that meat. There's a, there's a whole other level of appreciation for every bite you eat and really m- makes you thankful for what we have. Right. And, yeah. and that every time I bite into a chunk of venison, whether it be a taco or a delicious tenderloin, like last night, it, there's that level of appreciation for what we have and the skills that we've been taught and the whole process. It's uh, yeah, it's special to me. It's, it's so much more than just food, right, at that point. It's the process.
1: That and, like, I like the way I trim my roast. You know what I mean? I am meticulous. I take care. Anytime I've ever taken any game to a processor, it comes back with hair on it. There's chunks of bone in it. There's still cartilage or whatever on it that I didn't want. And and I've never had it from anywhere where they trimmed it the way I wanted. it. No,
3: no, I think we're, you know, that's like blue skin. I am so meticulous about yeah. getting even for my ground venison. I like to get ninety percent, ninety five percent that blue skin. You if you
1: don't, it just it takes on a different taste.
2: It does. And, yeah, and it's where a lot of that gaminess comes from yeah. is because it's not trimmed right. It's Absolutely. not. It's not prepared properly. It's. And I
1: and I will admit. And my wife doesn't like some of my ground on my second deer last year. And we were in a hurry and ground some with that on there. Not even that much. Like, I took the majority off. But it was enough to off-put the taste to where she didn't even want to eat it. Yeah. And and I think, you know, especially like a non-hunter going to eat that, that's not what you want to give them anyway. Right. You know? And it's
2: interesting what all goes into the flavor. You recognize after yeah, 25 years of killing deer and eating them, you realize... <laughs> That Yeah, your bigger, more muscular bucks are going to be a little tougher. They're going to be a little gamier, as is the length of time it takes that deer to die from the time it's hit, right? Yep. If adrenaline's pumping through its body, it, it might not taste as good as it would if you punched it straight through the heart and it ran 15 yards and fell over dead, right? Um, well, getting them
3: opened up and cooled off is, yep. is such a huge um, thing that people need to, you know. Uh, I, I used to... Re- you know it's 300 and about 326 miles here from our house and uh during deer season you know you're driving home and here's all these hunters that's got their trophies on top of their their vehicle and it's 78 degrees out oh. they've been hanging a tree for three days um uh, skin's still on them and uh and these guys just riding around showing off their animals i'm sitting there going that's going to be some quality venison, you know, right
2: get you know. it get it to the butcher get it in the cooler Yesterday, perfect example, right? Yeah, we're tired. I whacked one in the morning. We spent the early afternoon getting it processed, getting a quarter, getting it on ice. We all went back out. I whacked mine. You whacked one, and
0: yeah, it was.
2: uh, We're we're tired. We're all sore. It's 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 the end of a long day, and ultimately the bottom line is we got a deer hanging. It's not going to get cold tonight, and we got work to do, right? So yeah, we got got her on ice in forty five minutes, and uh team team effort we tagged teamed it and got it done yeah that the, and there again being able to process your own deer because yeah so many people you know it they took don't. me years and years of hunting because we had it made we had we had a processing facility 15 minutes from where we hunted for years and years and they'd cut up a deer and they did a pretty good they, job they, they did really a, they, did a nice job and it was cheap job. so w- you know we did take a lot of deer to them but yeah. uh ultimately yeah it's uh Knowing that your deer was broken down, processed, gotten on ice quickly. Yeah, we'll throw a plug out. It's Woody's over in... Uh, um, Dongola? Dongola, Illinois. Dongola, Illinois. Yep, yep. Woody's uh, Meat Locker. Yeah, they, they, they process a lot of deer. They do a good job. They got some there's th- nobody around here. What, yep. We got to drive an hour from where we're at right now to get a deer processed, yeah. and it's not going to happen quickly. <laughs> yep.
3: They got some of the best deer bacon you've ever had. If anybody's never had deer bacon, it's a processed bacon ground up with, you know, pork fat and uh, smoked and uh, just incredible. Uh,
1: you know what I don't like about all that, though? You never know if it's just your deer. And you don't know how somebody else treated their that's deer. That's true. Right? And just how we were talking. And it almost makes me want to learn how to do those things, even though that one might be kind of hard to make the deer bacon, because I think you need a steam press or something like that. No,
3: you, I, I made deer bacon for the first time last year. Okay. Uh, it's pretty much got the, the same flavor, um, I probably didn't add quite enough pork butt with it. It, when you fried, it, it got a little bit dry. Um, but what I ended up doing was I put 50 pound barbell weights on top of and made a press mm-hmm. to hard press it overnight in the refrigerator. And then you take it out, smoke it, and then, uh, put it back in the refrigerator and get it really cool just below freezing. And you can slice it paper thin on your. I got a whole Bart meat slicer, Mm -hmm. you know, industrial. Um, So the secret is you have to have a lot of force, okay, you know, to pack that meat together. And uh,
1: because I've liked it, I've always liked it when I had it made, but it became a certain point for me to where it was like I couldn't, I had a deer, couldn't get it in one time. Yeah, and I was like, okay, I have no choice now, right? I need to learn how to break it down.
2: Yeah. Yeah,
1: broke it down completely. And then started doing it myself and then realized, this is way better this way, right? I, I have ultimate control over every you aspect yeah. of it.
2: That's the exact situation I've run into, right? We yeah. were spoiled for so many years. We had a great hunting spot. We had a great spot right down the road. We could drop these deer off. they get processed. Pick them up He'd second Pick them season. up second shotgun season. No problem. And yeah, uh, ultimately they were cheap and they did a good job. And since then we've had deer processed a couple times and ultimately the price ends up it's high. And I've questioned how much hair and bone chunk and cartilage and I who, found who in else's the meat. deer. is? Whose deer who am is, I really eating? And yeah. yeah, like it was such an intimidating thing to start cutting up my own deer. Right. Cause I had had someone do it, but yeah, I'm with you when you do it all yourself, there's a whole other level of, they're an appreciation and just comfort in what you're eating. Yeah, You know for a fact that this didn't touch anyone else's hands. I no. took the life. I feel dressed. I skinned and quartered and deboned and ground. And now we're sitting down at the table to eat it. And yep. Those are skills that, you know, I'm excited. I've got a nine-year-old. I'm excited that it, next year he'll probably come down and start hunting. And these are skills that I can teach him. They're skills that I feel fortunate that my dad can took me hunting as a kid and that i know how to go out and hunt because there again we talk about politics and current times and inflation and (laughs) i'm not intimidated ultimately Uh, at the end of the day times could get hard but we'll we'll eat (laughs) we'll we'll all eat just fine right (laughs) yep that's
1: for sure no i think it's i think it's pretty cool and as you know like you and i are learning together now on this whole mushroom journey which is pretty cool uh, you know, it's just that many more skills that we're developing and that we can learn. Your dad's learning those things, and I'm sure your son's going to be over there and learning from him. You know how to how to cure these hams and different things like that. And I think I think that's pretty cool. And it's 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 another way to just you know not only just pass on knowledge, but spend time with the future generation to ensure that they they have the the capabilities and the knowledge to survive. Right. Yeah. That's, well, everything's
3: cool. not on the button of a Nintendo game or, yeah. or you know, some TV set, PlayStation, whatever. Uh, those are skills that they're learning that's fun. Yeah. But it's not going to put food on their table in hard times. Yeah. So we, we have to teach them at least how to survive. And you can survive pretty well with some pretty good food on
2: the table if you know how to do it, you know. Yeah. Picking the edible plants and... Um, and there's a balance there, right? Finding our way through modern life and you know our kids go to schools and we have jobs in corporate America and it's finding this balance between living in that world while also honing and keeping sharp the skills that we already have and learning new skills that could help us because yeah none of none of those things keep you alive the, no. the, the internet is not keeping us alive the bottom line is if-
3: and, and when the grocery stores are all empty shelves there's gonna be a lot of people that have not a clue yeah. where their next meal is gonna come
2: from. Consider Absolutely. myself very fortunate that I have a lot of people in my life like you guys that I'm not the only one out there <laughs> with this mentality, right? I mean, because the it is it's uh the community, the hunting community, the foraging community. It's we're a small percentage of the overall population, but really, I think it's so important that my kids learn this. You know, yeah. I. I I'm not gonna run around screaming at the rooftops that society needs to learn it, but well, what I can't th- imagine with uh with current times and having young kids, I can't imagine not teaching them remember to, you know, what, to fend for themselves. Remember what Ted
3: Nugent told you when you were about <laughs> Ted told me a lot of things. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Can you specify?
3: <laughs> well, we're we at the sports show and, and Seth got to know Ted Nugent really well. And uh at the end of the show, Ted put his hand on my shoulder and he says Ron keeps Seth hunting, and you'll never have to hunt for your child. Yep. And uh, as wild as Ted can be, and seem he is really a down-to-earth guy, and a little radical, which you know some of us are. And uh, but he's got some real good values. And uh, and he told Seth, stay out of the malls. You know, stay yeah. out of the malls. Stay in the woods.
1: You did become a mall rat for a little bit there, yeah, but well. I think all of us do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know,
3: but you know, spending time in the woods is much more beneficial than absolutely than being in a shopping mall
2: absolutely absolutely yeah
1: that's like i remember when my parents first got their property you came out because yeah i I wanted to start deer hunting and i was like let's go deer hunting out there so yeah so you went out and put up stands for us you know kind of scouting the property and stuff and i'll never forget to this day that's one of the biggest bucks i've ever seen you put me on him by one (laughs) of the big old oak tree yeah and it was my first morning out had my bow i've been shooting it for like two years before that right and just super confident with it this before rangefinders. get that buck start shaking all over the place i can't even <laughs> concentrate i forgot i had a bow in my hand at that point he was so big just big old sway back sway belly on him giant i don't know 14 point whatever it was i think you'd seen him at night out there
3: yeah and we saw him on the huge. road yeah so i'm
1: and I see him, and he's standing there in front of me, and he was probably 30 yards, and I aimed 20 on him and put my pin on him and drew back and poop right underneath him. And he stood there. He didn't even move because it never had any pressure in that yeah, area. Yeah, no,
3: never been shot at before.
1: <laughs> well, I'm sure he'd probably been shot at, but not a whole lot of pressure from that area. And so I put another arrow in, and I aimed like 35 or, you know, put it on him. Boom! Right over his back, and he took <laughs> off running.
3: Third time wasn't a charm.
1: <laughs> I never saw that deer again. But to this day, I think to myself, "Wow! Like that's the biggest deer I'd probably still to this date ever drew back on, and uh, completely missed him." But you put me in the right spot. So yeah, you know it's
3: <laughs> I uh, my I I come from a family of hunters. Unfortunately, none of them were ever deer hunters. You know, my grandpa yeah. and dad. Uh, born and raised Kentucky, you know, rabbits, squirrels, you know, food on the table was a necessity, but none of my family ever deer hunted. So that's something I was kind of self-taught and, you know, you go through a lot of trials and tribulations in the learning process. I was fortunate enough. I did. Uh, I shot my first deer in 1970 and, uh, and deer were, you know, when we lived in Elwood on the farm when I was a kid, so we're talking about like 1961, 62, Uh, all the local farmers, it was a big thing at the, uh, Quonset hut for coffee in the morning that somebody saw a deer in their, their field. I mean, deer were not very popular in Illinois in 1959,
1: 1960.
2: Turkeys were non-existent. Yeah. Yeah. Non-existent. Um, the red tail hawks were non-existent when, even when I was a kid and the way they've made it. Well, you never,
3: we we had to drive halfway to Terry Houghton, Indiana to see a, a, turkey vulture. Well, wow. and uh, now look, look at the seagulls you see in, in the city, <laughs> in the you know, lots. in the parking yeah. lots.
2: Yeah. So uh, evolution has, has changed, you know. Speaking and Speaking of turkey vultures, we thought we might have had some turkeys this morning. I was about to pop an arrow and then we realized there was a couple <laughs> of vultures on my gut pile from the night before. That
1: just goes <laughs> to show you, though, right, like the model of conservation and how it actually works and how well it works if it's applied properly. Well, look at
3: all the cooling lakes, you know, from the nuke stations, how it's, it's, changed the migration route of of the geese yep except um,
1: now i think the windmills might have changed that again well that's mm-hmm. possible yeah but yeah that's no other I su- mean, that's a whole other subject there that's, that's it's i mean it's a great thing like you were telling me last night i kind of like tell me about this story because you went barely went into it last night about you you had a kodiak magnum bow it was your first bow right oh yeah yeah and yeah. you went out and shot it can you tell me that story <laughs> do you remember it
3: yeah, I well, you know, I was new to new to archery, um, and uh, I bought a Kodiak Magnum, and uh, and they were short. They were a very short bow, and uh, like
1: fifty. What is it? Fifty two inches overall, or fifty four? Yeah,
3: some something like that. Well, when you pull the string back, because we were shooting with just <laughs> three finger tab, a leather tab, and it would pinch your fingers mm-hmm. so bad um, that you almost couldn't take it, and. Uh, I had some interesting experiences. Uh, I actually shot a my first 10-point buck out of a car in a junkyard. Uh, I was hunting on the edge of it, and it, it was such a frosty, cold morning. Uh, about 8 o'clock, I couldn't take it anymore. So I climbed down, and there was an old 54 Chevy and had the windows in it. So I climbed in there. You know how the sun comes through the front window? And uh, I'm sitting there, and I look up, and here comes this buck. Now he'd been wounded, and he, he had a pretty bad limp. Not sure that had anything to do with me getting him, but I easily rolled the window down, and I held the held the Kodiak Magnum horizontally, <laughs> and pulled back, and I shot him at five yards. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and uh, I, you know, I, I nicknamed him my Junkyard Buck. And uh, but yeah, he, he somebody had shot him with a twenty-two. Um, oh geez. 20, he had a twenty-two pellet in his front shoulder, but. Uh, yeah, that Kodiak Magnum, and uh, you know, then we'd sit there and shoot arrows straight up in the air, and uh,
1: Run away but you could them. well, you could always see them, <laughs> yeah. and
3: I'll never forget. I bought a, um, a a compound, a Golden Eagle compound, and I'll never forget. My buddy Bob and I was out in a bean field, and and we we're shooting arrows up and. I put a wooden arrow on that compound and shot it and we lost sight of it instantly. Oh no. And uh, so, so we're <laughs> running around this field, not, sh- you know, we got our hands over our head like that's going to help you. <laughs> and, and thank goodness, the arrow landed 150 yards from us. And we thought, you know, maybe since you can't see him, this is not a, a fun game to play anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Did you uh, finger
1: shoot that bow too then? The, yeah. The, the, the Eagle. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool. I, Never finger shot a compound bow, even though it kind of reminds me of, like, the Wenzel brothers. Remember them out in where they grew well, up it in didn't, Pennsylvania or it something? didn't
3: seem like they come out with mechanical mechanical releases because, uh, you know, that Golden Eagle was, it was, an, it was one of the very first compounds that ever come out. And uh, I don't remember anybody shooting mechanical releases for yeah. a couple of years.
1: What was, uh, I remember when we were kids, you had a, bow hanging in your garage that you didn't use anymore but it had like compound like almost like compound looking limbs or recurve looking limbs on like a compound oh that was
3: that was that golden eagle target bow i had okay uh the one that had the big stabilizer in the front of it oh man i haven't thought
2: about that bow in forever yeah that was pretty cool
3: well i you know i shot a six inch overdraw with that and we were shooting the (laughs) lightest toothpick arrows we could get You know, because we're Everybody's shooting... Everybody's chasing speed. Though, yeah, right? yeah. That was the thing. We're, we're the overdraw speed. was the way of the time. Chasing speed and, you know, some of the 3D tournaments, you know, you have an elk out there at 80, 80 85 yards. And uh, then they had the bion- bionic deer that, you know, you either shot through the center of it or it explode your arrow and just yeah. ruin, you know. And, uh, yeah, we shot... I shot hundreds of archery tournaments over the years.
1: Kind of like that cow with the archery range. Oh, geez. Oh, <laughs> jeez.
2: Oh, I told you about that, right? No, I don't think you told me about that.
1: So we're standing there BSing, <laughs> and we're BSing so much we're not paying attention to the targets. And I arranged the target, or so I thought, because I wasn't paying attention. And I'm like, that's odd. Why is this cow here? Luke brought his
2: rangefinder. I didn't. Okay. He's telling me the range. We're guessing, and then he's telling me.
1: Well, we he, goes, got-
2: he goes. He goes. He goes. Twenty six year. I go. Eh, it's got to be. 37 to 42 yards, and I'm looking at the foam buck back in the woods. Okay. He goes 26 yards. I'm like, man, I'm way off. can't believe it. Well, I'm yapping. We're talking mushrooms. (laughs) Luke draws, and as I look at him, I realize he's not aiming at the target that I'm looking at out in the woods.
1: (laughs) And And he
2: lets his arrow go. And I knew instantly what had happened because I almost did it a week before walking the field course. They got a concrete cow sitting out in the middle of the field course. Oh, no. no. <laughs> and he he ranged the cow. And I'm think, I'm looking at the deer, and we're still talking. I'm thinking in my head, I'm thinking, man, that can't be that close. There's no way that's 26 years. And right as I'm getting ready to tell him you're not aiming at the target, he lets it go. And I realize, boom. Then, Boom! His arrow just explodes. explodes. Up, up, oh yeah. Up. Dust of concrete <clears throat> well, goes through the air. <laughs> the
1: aluminum insert exploded. The arrow itself didn't explode. It actually held together pretty well. It just smushed that yeah, in it a smashed little bit. it in. But I could that the aluminum insert in there just exploded. <laughs> and I'm going. I was wondering why there was a cow here on the course. <laughs> like, oh, why is a, there a cow? I got a picture of it. But there is Marks. Apparently, a lot of other people shoot that, too. Oh, I'm, I'm, oh I'm, at I'm least.
2: Sure. So, here's the thing. <laughs> I wish I would have realized because I would have told him. It's I funny. was out there.
1: I mean, I'm only maybe out like 40 t- bucks. on it. I was out home. there maybe
2: <laughs> two weeks two weeks before I'm out there. And I looked across in that area, and I thought, why would they have a cow out there? Is that a foam target? And I looked at it and looked at it. Well, this wasn't when a 3D tar- tournament was happening. The 3D Targets are normally not out in the field. Of course, we have field targets. And I looked at it and looked at it. I'm like, people have to shoot that all the time. And sure enough, as I walked by, I saw all of the little puncture marks yeah. where it had been pelted with arrows. And then, Luke, yeah. Luke. And, then, and and I laughed about it. I'm like, all these poor guys shooting this concrete cow on accident. Yeah, you're looking at three- 20 <laughs> bucks an arrow nowadays.
3: <laughs> and more, uh, more. Well, talk about, talk about arrows. Luke had a kind of unique experience last night uh, coming down the hill. You want to, tell, oh, us, yeah. you was, want to so, tell us about that?
1: I'm walking down the hill. Total I, I total knew, dark. I knew you took a deer. And I'm like, what is that? I thought maybe it was a headlamp at first or something or like a pen light. And I'm like, no, it's not moving. And I go, hey, whistled at it. Nothing didn't move. I'm like, okay, it must be a camera or something. And I walk back and like another 40 yards there, you are standing there with your deer dragging it out of the woods. And I go, do you got a camera over there or something? There's like a green glow when I walked by, and it goes, "Oh, it's my arrow." Where'd you find it? I couldn't find my arrow, and I said, "It's in the tree." Well,
3: the the deer the deer was on a ridge, yeah. the the highest part part of ridge, and I shot shot him at 35 yards, and I knew it was a pass through, and uh, because and I went another 80 yards, at and least. and uh, how high was it? It was
1: about six foot of the air. About, about six foot, f- yeah. six
3: foot up in the air, and it's pitch dark, and uh <laughs> Luke's coming down the hill, and I thought, and I'd look for the arrow, yeah. you know, but I didn't see it. The lumen, loom- the uh, lighted knock, and uh so I was shocked when Luke's found it, and we
2: walked back and got my arrow. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you're looking at twenty bucks an arrow by the time oh, you yeah, get gotta- a. And, and it's funny because I was walking up the hill, and I saw the one headlamp, and I saw this green dot bouncing around. What <laughs> is? I was thinking. What is that up in yeah, the pasture? Like, <laughs> They're kind of freaky.
3: I... They're kind of freaky looking out in the.
1: Yeah, well, when it's just randomly sitting there, you know. It's yeah,
3: like... yeah.
1: So yeah, I don't know. I think that's a pretty good point to wrap this up with my stupidity. <laughs> 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 but thanks for uh, having me down here and uh, sitting you're, down you're, and talking. To you're me. welcome, and uh, and uh, it's it's been good talking. Thanks to you for guys. your
3: friendship for the last thirty five years.
1: Thanks for. Uh, getting me started in bow hunting like you said you know my my family were hunters but they were you know upland game hunters yeah and stuff, and yeah it just never
3: yeah my grandpa was a duck hunter and my dad was pheasant rabbit and squirrel and uh
1: and uh my dad used to take me fishing but it wasn't as fun as hunting to me and you know still is yeah I, yeah now that i'm like exploring different avenues of fishing it's pretty yeah. fun but we
3: fished hundreds of hours when we were kids but that's something i about a half an hour, no bites a, on a fishing hole, <laughs> yeah. and I'm getting pretty bored and getting kind of antsy, but I can sit in that tree stand for five hours and not move a muscle hoping. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I do like fishing, but uh, bow hunting, you know, hunting in Africa was the highlight of my life, you know, yeah. getting to go on a couple of safaris, especially getting to take Seth, you know, after graduated college, you know, spend... Uh, seven days in africa with with your boy that's quite an experience too so absolutely yep so but yeah you're welcome to come down and uh we'll, we'll definitely come down and do some turkey hunting in the spring and uh
2: and uh you'll just become a permanent fixture here luke <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah thanks for having us on the podcast and yeah thanks for coming down doing some bow hunting with us Yeah, we, no, we, awesome. we need to bag you one in the morning and oh, then it'll see. be a complete weekend eh? Yeah, We we got one more set. Let's go whack a few more.
1: Yep. Absolutely, man. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Once again, thank you so much for listening to the Publicly Challenged Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show, and if you did, please subscribe on whatever platform it is you're listening to. Also, if you could leave a review, that would help us out. And you can check us out on Instagram or at publiclychallenge.com. And once again, thank you so much for listening to the show.